Hey folks, this is Kat. Uh, this episode, unfortunately, has some audio issues. I'm not exactly sure what happened with my audio track, but, well, frankly, it sounds like I'm recording through a tin can. It's still audible and understanding and understandable, but if you have some questions about the quality of this particular episode, that's what happens. I sincerely apologize, and hopefully we'll have a much better quality next week. Uh, so thank you for suffering through this one. All right, let's continue on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Back to the Blood God, US Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. You're back. You were gone for... For forever, I counted. <laughs> How did Eric do? Did he take care of the place for me? He did. Uh, we actually had a very good discussion about like uh, portable RPGs and portable systems and why they're so well suited for RPGs and uh, and what have you. So, uh, somebody was mad that you didn't talk enough about the Vita. Yeah, they apologize for being mad, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, as they should. <laughs> yeah, he said like I apologize. I'm just a bit of a Vita fanboy, and it's like I understand. Like the Vita didn't get its due, and it does have some really. We did talk about the Vita, though. We did talk about like how it's a great system for uh, for Persona Four Golden alone, but also uh, PS One games. Like there's a lot of games on there that I can't play anywhere else, and uh, PS Vita is great for it. Yeah, I, I was in some Discord chat, and people were taking turns dunking on the Vita. And I had the whole, like, running uh, uh, mascara screaming, <laughs> leave Vita alone! <laughs> wow, that's a, a meme from, God, what was it, like, the early 2000s? 20, like, 2009 or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. allow me to re- reference stuff from, like, 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like 10 years ago. That's the problem. It feels like it was like last week and then everyone says, oh, you're referencing an old meme. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not old. It's new. Oh, shit. Well, we have meme nostalgia now. You know that? I know. It's it's crazy. I Actually, I, I laugh whenever I see like uh, memes then and memes now sort of thing, criticizing how meme quality isn't what it used to be. I just, ha- I just die on the floor. On Reddit, they had an entire week where basically all of the memes from five years ago or so started coming back. And I was like, oh, I missed all of these. <laughs> so many cats. <laughs> it wasn't cats. It was uh, like the Ermagerd gal and the, the bad luck guy oh, bad and luck all Brian. of that stuff. Yeah. Bad luck Brian. Those are some quality memes. We Maybe we have suffered for our meme quality. I don't know. Usually, well, I don't miss the angry face guy. Oh, yeah. He was, he was a thing that persisted for a while. The rage, the rage, rage comics. Face, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so this week on Axe of the Blood God, we're going to be talking. It. We're going to be continuing the console RPG quest, Yay. and it should be console consoles RPG quest because, yeah, we're talking about multiple consoles this week. Uh, so there was an interesting kind of gap <laughs> between the 16-bit era and the 32-bit era that was filled with some. Mm, interesting consoles, and we're going to be covering all of them. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, they had some RPGs. Uh, they weren't exactly exclusive to them. Some of them ended up ultimately getting ported to other consoles. Yes. And frankly, their RPG history isn't that dense. But we're trying to be fairly comprehensive here, so let's hit all of them, including the CDI for some reason. Yeah, you might learn something. Yeah, well, I, I like to think that every time I do one of these. Yeah. 
or education. Who knows? I might learn something. I feel like I learned a lot about uh, consoles so far. Yeah, I'll be honest. There's a lot of games I didn't even think to, you know, think about and I, I learned about them in this rpg console quest so i think we're all learning if you're enjoying the console rpg quest can i suggest that you leave us a review over on itunes or stitcher wherever you like listening to podcasts we always enjoy seeing the reviews they brighten our day and they also help the visibility of the podcast if you're enjoying uh, also if you want to follow us on social media i'm on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia is at nadia oxford we also have a newsletter. Nadia, what was our newsletter about this week? Oh, well, our newsletter kind of ties into one of our news items, I suppose. Uh, Alpha Dream, uh, the creators of the Mario and Luigi uh, games, the RPGs, uh, is unfortunately filing for bankruptcy. And I wrote about how that's that's actually a major loss for RPGs because there's really nothing else like the Mario and Luigi games and not even like the original Super Mario RPG was quite like it. Uh, we're talking about a series of games that, number one, Eric and I covered uh, in some depth on our RPG podcast that we did last week, so uh, sorry for bringing about the series Doom, if, if that's somehow related. Um, but I've always appreciated how, number one, the games are some of the funniest and most cleverly written RPGs in the genre, and you wouldn't know about that. You'd say, like, what, Mario and Luigi games? Like, funny and well-written? What are you talking about? But no, Bowser's Inside Story, which is one of the games, is, is still one of the funniest games I've ever played. And even at putting aside the writing and the story, uh, the the gameplay is just really, really clever because so many RPGs are all about, well, okay, you have these parties and everyone has their specialty, but Mario and Luigi games are largely about the chemistry between Mario and Luigi, like performing weird, funny acrobatics off each other, uh, you know, in addition to the traditional, like, you know, mushrooms and, and fire flowers and, and all of that. So I, I am very, very sorry to see Alpha Dream file for bankruptcy, and I'm really hoping that M Nintendo buys them. And I'm actually really surprised that Nintendo didn't own them in the first place if they were doing Mario RPG games, but they live and learn, I suppose. Uh, well, I don't want to be mean, but yes, they're do. a fairly minor. De <laughs> <laughs> they're a fairly minor developer in the grand scheme of oh, things. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at their development history over the past. Five years or so, they've been mostly remastering their DS RPGs for the 3DS. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like with a lot of the debt that they got, they don't really have the resources to actually make a Switch game, which is too bad. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Um, and I think that's one of the things that kind of did them in, was they re-released the, these games on the 3DS when the, when the console was already, the handheld was already very much on its way out. Uh, I, I hear that uh, Bowser's Inside Story, the remake for that, sold really badly, which is a shame because, again, it's one of my favorite RPGs ever. I, I mean, are you surprised, though? The, the 3DS was very much a dead letter by 2019. Oh, which absolutely. Is when this game came out, question mark? Yeah, it was, it was quite recently. I actually wrote a story on our site that you can look up. I wrote about, uh, it's called Everyone Hates Bowser Jr., and I called it that because... Uh, the remake of Bowser's Inside Story has a side story where you play as Bowser Jr. And um, he, the Koopalings are trying to look after this, this little tyrant, and they all despise him. And he's, you know, one by one, they abandon him in the wilderness. <laughs> and it's just, he kind of has to learn a lesson about not being such a jerk. And it's actually a really, really funny kind of touching story that I enjoyed. It's true. 
Everybody does hate Bowser Jr. <laughs> I kind of don't. I kind of like him for what he is. And I liked that the game was self-aware about the fact everyone hates him. Do you think Bowser Jr.'s mom is Peach? Uh, the problem, I, <laughs> I want to instantly say no, what are you talking about? But the reason I say, even the reason I even apply question marks to that, that sentence is because when Bowser Jr. confronts her, Peach isn't like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy, you're nuts. He, she's like, oh, like she suddenly remembered some, like, some night of passion that would just went really, really, like, weird for, for everyone involved. And it's like, oh, right, that happened. And I'm your mother? Oh, oh, how about that? So maybe. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you never played Super Mario Sunshine? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, well, look up the cutscene where Bowser Jr. confronts her. And it is really disturbing how she doesn't, like, just deny it. She's just, like, thinking about it. Like, oh, you know, that might be possible. That quite that could have happened. I always figured the Koopalings were Bowser's children by his first marriage. And then he divorced and remarried and had Bowser Jr. That was always my, my canon for a very long time. And uh, when I wrote my Super Mario 3 fan fiction, which you can also look up on the website, I think Obviously, Bowser Jr. wasn't a thing back then, but I did kind of mention how, like, the Koopalings were his children from another marriage or something. There's a great poster of Mario as a noir character, and it says, Kidnapped again! Someone, some might say she has a taste for it. <laughs> there was a, there was an article someone printed out when I was in high school, and it was just, uh, Princess, it, the headline was, Princess Peach kidnapped again, Mario says, fuck it. And I never. They put this up all around the school. I don't know who did it, but I'm glad they did. Anyway, best of luck to Alpha Dream. Yes. Uh, I hope that they don't go away. And uh, Bowser's Inside Story is legitimately good. It and is. may we have some solid Mario and Luigi RPGs for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah, you should subscribe to our newsletter. You can go do that on the site and somewhere, probably also in our show notes. So. Yeah, so we, we send out a newsletter every single Wednesday. All right, some additional news. Uh, oh, there was a very large Pokemon Sword and Shield info drop, yes. including an update on the National Pokedex situation, as you may recall from me ranting about this every <laughs> single episode. that Pokemon Sword and Shield will not have every one of the 100,000 Pokemon that have been developed so far. Uh, and... Game Freak went out and confirmed, much to everybody's surprise, that the older Pokemon will return in future games. They're not being retired forever, which, duh. I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of a... no kidding. I always thought that just rotate them in and out, or just, like, release them in waves. That's what I was, like, saying before. Well, it's like Ash did it, didn't he? He let Butterfree go, and he was like, I'm not handling more than four of these little bastards, and he just kind of said, okay, Butterfree, go find yourself a wife. I was sword and shield... Okay, sort of Pokemon shouldn't be an annual freaking franchise anymore. Well, no, one it thing. I, it should be like Destiny. It should be basically a platform that has an expansion every year, mm-hmm, and it should have raids. That's what I'm saying. It should have raids. I think that uh, Sword and Shield does have raids, doesn't it? Max I don't raids, whatever they're called. What the heck is a max raid? Uh, apparently, you can like uh, take on these giant Pokemon with a bunch of other players, uh, kind of like Pokemon. Right. Go. Yes. Okay, so it does have raids. Yes. That uh, sounds very cooperative. <laughs> I don't want to cooperate with people. Don't make me do it, Game Freak. Yeah, playing with other people. And also finding giant Pokemon? Come on. I think that's kind of cool. I'm looking forward to, to like, kicking a giant Raichu. <laughs> is, that what, is that your dream? Yeah, that is the dream. I'm about to live it. 
they also said uh, they also addressed the the curry situation, which was very disturbing. <laughs> yes, uh, didn't they say like it was it no comment or Pokemon meat or something like that? I forgot what they said. Well, they said so. What are the sausages like? Yeah. And they said uh, I don't understand. They said, oh, but what are they made out of? They said Pokemon World sausages. What the hell? Which doesn't that? make any dang sense. <laughs> Those could be anything. That's that raises more questions. Yes, this raises more questions than it answers. In the anime, you clearly see Ash eating a hamburger. Oh no, Miltank. I'll just assume that it was a garden burger or something, or impossible meat. Impossible meat, or beyond meat, or whatever. (laughs) Uh, What else? Was there anything else? Oh yeah, they said there was going to be 18 gems, but then they clarified? Yeah, apparently, I don't know, I think this might have been a mistranslation on Game Informer's part, because this is where the information is coming from. Uh, There are not going to be 18 gems, which I am very disappointed about. Well, there are going to be 18 gems, but they're kind of divided between the two uh, games, which, to be fair to Game Freak, they did kind of insinuate that already with the fact that B, the fighting-type gem, is Pokemon Sword, and Alistair, I think is their name, is the ghost-type in Shield. Uh, I'm still not clear what they mean by there are going to be major and minors. Uh, I think maybe they're still going to, like, rotate gems, like, in between the games, so it's not like you're going to be, like... Oh, if you want the ghost type gym, you have to buy shield, and if you want the you know if you want the fighting type, you have to buy sword. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Either way, uh, you're still looking at like uh, eight gyms for each game, and that's actually something that Game Freaks apparently said way back in July. So that was on all of us, I guess. So. Yeah, I think when they mean minor gyms, maybe they're talking about the fighting dojo from uh, Pokemon Red and Blue, which was kind of a gym, but uh, not really. That you, that's a good point. Like you had the, um, you did have like, yeah, you had like smaller gyms that were, uh, you, you still went up against, you know, uh, Pokemon and, and trainers and stuff, but it wasn't like uh, a big ordeal the way it was with the actual gyms. Now here's an idea. How about promotion and relegation for the gyms? So... You have multiple leagues worth of gyms, mm-hmm. and while you're playing, the gyms are in the background basically fighting each other. That'd be kind of cool, actually, and it'd make a lot of sense given the what we know about the Galar region. So imagine, so I don't know if you ever played Shadow of Mordor, but in Shadow of Mordor, every time you would die, you would see the captains come in and like fight one another, and you could have a orc start as a basic soldier and then eventually rise up to be a super warlord, right? And the idea was that it was having this kind of emergent storytelling. Yeah, it was, a, it was a neat idea. It didn't really go anywhere, and it was kind of hampered by the fact that Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor were pretty grindy, had microtransaction issues, etc. Like, where your character was way too powerful, etc. But, and it was kind of a neat idea, so I kind of imagine... Uh, going to a Pokemon Center and healing yourself, and then while that's happening, you see like a little kind of chart, and you see the gyms like rotate around. And as a gym goes up, the Pokemon become more powerful, and then you can go challenge that gym when it gets promoted. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. Yeah, and then a gym leader can even maybe get promoted into the the Elite Four. Ah, yeah, that'd be really awesome. I like that. Yeah. No, so that would that would make for a fun and kind of dynamic and maybe ever-changing thing, and especially if you got unique rewards for beating promoted gyms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so that's my big idea. That that's a big idea for Pokemon. That that would be a fun one. That would be a very good okay. one because one thing I brought up in my piece about you know I was kind of happy about hearing about eighteen gyms. Uh, just and this is something we've talked about in the past is that the uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield. I am looking forward to it very much, but it really does have to prove that Pokemon can work on consoles. And I feel like eighteen gyms, like just having more gyms in general, might have been a good start into making the world bigger and more you know cool and interesting yeah it's a big transition point for the series as a whole that's why i like mentioned destiny because it's time to start rethinking the format it's not a portable series anymore no it's not so it has to it has to grow because another point i brought up is that um the switch this year alone you have dragon quest 11 s which is huge and and a fantastic port and you have uh the switcher which is coming out and those are uh, plus we just got uh uh what do you call it um I'm blanking on the name now. Divinity Original, Divinity Sin, Original too. Sin too. Yeah, like three excellent RPGs that are either like out or coming out. So Pokemon can't really afford to be rinky-dink anymore, you know? I don't think the series was ever rinky-dink, but I think that being a console game carries with it different expectations and people will be naturally comparing it to the biggest releases of the season. So, But it seems like they're stepping up their game to some extent. I mean, introducing raids, uh... It, uh, going a little bigger with the gyms, uh, having the open world kind of element, having stuff like cooking and having the Pokemon Ranch, which is something that I've always wanted. Like it, it is adding a lot of stuff that, and it, it, it is a good looking game. Like <laughs> there are these really obnoxious YouTube channels that are harping on and on and on and on about the graphics. The, the game looks fine, and it will look fine when it's being played. So step off. <laughs> First of all, it always looked good, and it's been looking so much better in the most recent stuff, as it everyone with, like, two brain cells to rub together knew it would. So, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I hate these hot-take YouTubers who are some... They're just fanboys and fangirls who are just getting on YouTube and ranting, and people somehow, like, pay them, like, attention and watch their videos hundreds of thousands of times, if not millions of times, and they're just spewing complete nonsense. They have no idea what's going on. They're coming up with all these conspiracy theories about why Pokemon Sword and Shield doesn't have a national Pokedex. It's the freaking worst. Yeah, it's like, and meanwhile, Occam Razor, Occam, Occam's Razor is like, well, it's a lot of work, and they don't really have that kind of, uh, who, who has that kind of uh, manpower anymore, you know? Anyway, I can I could rant about influencers all day, I'm but sure I suppose the last thing that we should touch on is uh, we started a, a fun, it was a little mini-series, maybe it'll bring back, we'll bring it back sometime. Uh, Blood God recommends. Yeah, um, it was uh, just basically looking at older RPGs, and I suppose whenever the time is right. Like for example, uh, the reason we we decided to do it this week is because Square Enix released uh, Dragon Quest One, Two, and Three for uh, the Switch, and um, so I figured I'd take a look at Dragon Quest Three again, and and just we decided, okay, does the Blood get does the Blood God recommend Dragon Quest Three still? And which I say yes, it's still a very good RPG, whereas Dragon Quest 1 and 2 have not aged so well. Uh, 3 is still a very good game, and it is the game that a lot of modern Dragon Quest tropes uh, are still based upon. So uh, I think it's something like twelve ninety nine. and if you are curious about, you know, where Dragon Quest comes from, and your parents won't tell you because you're not ready for that kind of thing yet, or they don't think you're ready for that kind of thing yet, we will answer that question. So just head on over to our site and look up Blood God recommends, and if you like the series, uh, let us know, and uh, we will definitely continue. Yeah, people were complaining about the art style. They weren't a fan of the 
mobile game art style. Yeah, um, it's funny because I have Dragon Quest Three for mobile. I finished it on there, and to me, it looks different. But yes, there is definitely a more sort of drawn, smoother drawn style with the um, enemies and the character sprites, whereas the backgrounds still look quite pixelated. Um, when I say it's a great game, I mean it still plays extremely well. Uh, I wouldn't say the graphics are nearly as ugly as what you get on for Final Fantasy VI on mobile, but they are still not as good as they could be because, uh, the, again, the Super Famicom version of Dragon Quest III has these amazing animations that they just don't use here, and that disappoints me. I think the mobile version looks fine. It, like you said, it could be a heck of a lot worse. See Final Fantasy V and VI. Exactly. Like it, is, it, it doesn't distract me the way that Final Fantasy VI does. I mentioned my deep desire for a Final Fantasy one through twelve on Nintendo Switch, Ooh. and somebody said, "Yeah, and they'll have Final Fantasy V uh, and VI's absolutely horrific sprite art." And I was like, "No, no, no it's only going to work <laughs> if you don't have that garbage on there." Lord. I think people have had a strong enough reaction that maybe they would pay attention to that and not do it. But on the yeah. other hand, uh, companies like Square Enix can be pretty cheap. And, I mean, Japan might not know or care that people in North America uh, are really yeah, against that's right. Yeah, it all comes down to. Um, although there was such a backlash against Chrono Trigger for PC that Square Enix actually did put a lot of work into making that better. Okay. So now is the time to continue on to the console RPG quest, in which we're going to be talking about the Atari Jaguar, the Neo Geo, the CDI, and the 3DO. Don't go away. And now we get to one of the weirder parts of console history. Maybe... The last time that we ever saw something quite like what we saw back in 1993, 94, and 95. Maybe the last vestiges, Nadia, of the days of Mm -hmm. the Atari. Like the Atari 5200, the Atari 7800, the days of the ColecoVision and whatnot, where companies would just throw their hat in and be like, we're making a console, Yeah, it was definitely a weird transitional time for video games, Uh, I can say that much. Though I say that, and uh, it's not going to be too long before we get to the Xbox, and if you think about it, the Xbox could have been a hilarious yeah, I failure. I think people were expecting it to be a hilarious failure. I remember, um, I was actually working overnight custodial back then, and there was a midnight launch for the, um, it's a, this was at a mall, and this there was a midnight launch for Xbox at the EB Games, and, uh... There was nobody there, and I think the employees of the store were really pissed off about having to be up at midnight. <laughs> I think there's a Game Informer that has from the Xbox launch that has a picture of the first person who bought an Xbox in Minnesota, yeah, and really? that person is my friend. Yep, uh, the friend that I grew up with uh, was the first in line for an Xbox, and I mean, it was a lot busier there, yeah, was I that, suppose. that was at a midnight launch, you say? I, okay, we'll get to the Xbox. The Xbox felt like... A pretty big deal, all things considered, mainly right. because of Halo. And, I mean, and Microsoft really threw a push behind it. But the rest of these consoles were, mm, I, I want to say they all had their flaws, except for the Neo Geo, which was yeah. kind of its own thing. It was kind of its own special little it beast, was. wasn't I remember it? 
when I would read uh, Game Pro reviews back in the day for Neo Geo games, I would look at the price for because they'd always list the price for the games, and the prices for the Neo Geo games would be like two hundred, three hundred dollars. And I always think, is this a typo? It can't be a typo every single time, can it? <laughs> I I never really understood the Neo Geo, though I did see the ar- arcade mm-hmm. machines uh, at our local fast food establishments back when arcades, when fast food establishments yeah, still had arcades. The quintessential sort of. Uh, like, whenever you saw a Neo Geo machine like that, it was always in some fast food place. Like, there was a burger joint just down the street from us uh, that the guy recently retired. But until the end, he had a, a Neo Geo machine in there. Didn't work, but it was there. Yeah, our McDonald's built a play place. And in that play place, it included a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm. 2 machine. Or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles machine, a Street Fighter 2 machine, and a Neo Geo machine. Which, that's, that's three good. solid arcades, I gotta say. It's better than the most uh, McDonald's play places had those busted-ass N64s that, <laughs> you know, usually the controllers died before anything else. Yeah, and I was able to convince my parents. Uh, it, it had the intended effect on me because I demanded my parents <laughs> take me to McDonald's constantly. <laughs> I don't want the hamburger. I just want to play the Neo Geo. Just want to play the arcades? Are you kidding me? Well, the, the hamburger, well, yeah, whatever. I don't blame you. Actually, my uh, the food court I grew up with had a pretty kick-ass arcade back in the day. Well, let's start with maybe the least consequential of the consoles on this list, which is the Philips CDI, which was a kind of direct result of a. Uh, Something that Nintendo <laughs> did, which was you said like it's in caps. Something I mean, Nintendo it's did. a it's a very fam- it's a very yes. famous story, and I'm not going to rehash it right here. But uh, did you know that the Nintendo PlayStation is actually on sale right now? Somebody, the owner of yeah, it, wants to I sell it for sure. They donated to like a you know a Frank Zabaldi or something. I guess not. Yeah, as many of our commenters were saying, it should it be in a museum, museum right? I, I agree. Yeah, Indiana Jones just smashes through a window. It belongs in a museum. Yes. That's the Last Crusade yeah. reference. For all you young people out there. Oh, of You've course. seen Last Crusade, right? Okay, just making sure. You, you weren't reacting properly, oh, so sorry. I wanted to make sure. It was funny. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so the Nintendo PlayStation was supposed to be a thing. It was not a thing. Nintendo famously stabbed Sony in the back and went with Philips. Which ended up creating this strange monstrosity set-top box VCR thing. It was like a CD drive. It was very much a product of the multimedia age. Uh, yeah, it's not a lot to say about the CDI. It was, it was a really crappy machine. machine. Um, it did a bunch of things, I hear, and it didn't do any of them particularly well. It might have had a Laserdisc player. I don't remember. It definitely was a CD player, though, in a time when that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the only reason anybody remembers this dang thing is because it had Mario yeah, and Zelda um, on it. As a part of the deal that Nintendo had with Philips, uh, Philips was allowed to make a certain amount of Nintendo-based games, and oh boy, did they ever. Yeah, there's something like a hundred, more than 100 games for the thing, but no yeah, RPGs. Um, I looked this up, and the closest we get is those, those horrible Zelda games, which um, are certainly in a league of their own. Uh, one interesting thing I learned was that it was uh, one of the first instances of an American company outsourcing a Russian company, because this was just after the, the wall fell, uh, and that was the Russian company that did the uh, the drawings, if you want to call them that, the animations for the Zelda games. Oh, man, and those animations were real really something, were. weren't and they? I don't know if, if this was in if this was a, the Zelda game that I read this about. Uh, I do know there was an instance where uh, some Russians did animate uh, something to do with video games, and 
they couldn't understand why they weren't allowed to drink on the job. Like, and it's like, oh, I feel for you, buddies. <laughs> Stereotypes. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, they want to drink some vodka on the job. And they're like, oh, we know you can have coffee. Yeah, but why not vodka? Have you ever played a Philips CDI? I have CDI? looked at one. Uh, I have not. I remember when the CDI was being promoted and seeing pictures of the Zelda games mm-hmm. in some game magazines and thinking, wow, this looks really yeah, good. I want to play those. I do remember those. seeing uh, images of the Zelda games and seeing, like, uh, like box art for the games in you know catalogs back when people shopped using catalogs, and I was just mightily confused because I'm like, why are Zelda games on this thing? And then in the mid 2000s, uh, pretty much everybody came out and started dunking yes, really heavily on fair, them. Unlike some games that get dunked on, uh, these really deserve to be dunked on. Yeah. Oh, they really did. Oh my gosh, that's some of the worst animation I have ever seen. And what the heck was going on? with Nobody Link? knows. Um, it. It's just like it's no wonder he's been memed. Like he's still memed because I think his whole, I think the whole CDI Zelda animation library gave rise to the YouTube poop trend, <laughs> which still goes on to this day. I mean, it was even worse than the Excuse Me Princess from the <laughs> Nintendo Power Cartoons. See, I, I watched those. I actually interviewed Bob Forward for uh, for them a long time ago for the Escapist. That was pretty fun because he worked on the Zelda cartoon. I would try and watch the Super Mario Super Show, but I never knew when it was on. So I I think it was on super early where oh, I lived. Do it. So. Yeah, that's usually the the kiss of death for cartoons when they're on at like 6 in the morning. You see, kids, back when I was growing <laughs> up, you couldn't just uh, you couldn't just go through Netflix and watch through all of them. You had to know when the show was on using a, t- a TV yeah, catalog I used or whatever. To, I, used to, I actually became quite familiar with infomercials because I'd wake up really early to watch cartoons that I liked. And before any cartoons were on, you'd get infomercials. So I had an internal... I had an internal body clock that would always wake me up at 8 a.m. on Saturdays so I could get down and watch Sonic the Hedgehog on ABC, the, oh, I, the I good like, one. I actually like the uh, the kind of Tex Avery one, too. But, uh, yeah, you're not the only one. A lot of people were really big on that cartoon. Well, the Tex Avery one, I watched it and enjoyed it. But I watched some of the old – I watched a little bit yeah. of it, like, now. And I was like, oh, boy, that, that was long really bad. That long-term is Robotnik, though. That's pretty awesome. I think the joke was that Dr. Robotnik had a big butt. He had a very big butt, and it was it was stuck prominently in our faces all the time. And yet somehow it seems to have infected Sonic because chili yes, dogs are yeah, still a Sonic thing. Sonic still likes the chili dogs. He absolutely does. Uh, so let's talk about the next console on this little list, which was maybe a little more consequential than the CDI. The CDI, the CDI was an interesting byproduct of a very mm-hmm. historical moment in gaming history, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the PlayStation a little more, but the 3DO, now, this is an interesting yeah. one, Nadia. So, I did not know this at the time. The 3DO really should have, it, it seemed like, in a vacuum, it should have probably been a lot more successful than it ultimately was, but it just shot itself in the foot yes, repeatedly. It really um, for one thing, I think the technology, well, to put it Quite simply, it was really bloody expensive. Like $700 in, in, in 1990. Come on. 1993. 1993. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's really expensive. I mean, it seemed to have the right people behind it because it was the brainchild of Trip Hawkins, who was the founder of EA. And we all like to make fun of EA now, but at the time, EA was a remarkably forward-thinking and very powerful uh, PC developer 
that had successfully made the jump over to consoles well before a lot of con- uh, developers. Chip Hawkins was one of the best in the business. A lot of uh, pioneers in the games industry worked for EA back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so Trip Hawkins leaving EA to start 3DO, that, that's no small thing. Like, I would have laid money in 1992, 93, that the 3DO would have been a success knowing that Trip Hawkins uh, was behind it. And a lot of people did. Like, there was a lot of investment. It had, a, it had an IPO. It had a very high stock price. It was getting tons of hype at CES. And it looked like it was going to be a legitimate challenger to the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. As a lot of point, people pointed out, uh, CGI fever had taken hold because of Jurassic Park. But the Super Nintendo wasn't ready to really output those kinds of graphics outside of maybe like Star Fox. And so the basically the door was open for the 3DO to step in and say, here we go, next generation, let's and, go. Uh, then it didn't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Then it didn't. Did you ever see a 3DO in the wild? No, Not although yet. I did. I do remember the time, a time when I was um, kind of just minding my own business at home playing Secret of Mana. And my brother came home from, he had been like at a friend's house and he just like would not shut up about how lame the game looked compared to the 3DO. And uh, I was like, all right, that's great. I I enjoy my Super Nintendo. Please go away. Um, I will be honest. I feel like the 3DO, I would have been more interested in it if not for the really hyper masculine aggressive marketing campaign that was very, very, very laser focused towards teenage guys and you know, even like a, a pretty tomboyish person like myself just was just like totally tr- turned off about how, you know, testosterone fueled it was. And like, I just wasn't even impressed by the, hey, if you're, if you like Super Nintendo and Genesis, you're a little baby. <laughs> you got to get the 3DO. So I was not impressed by the ads for that thing. They always say in marketing that if you mention the competition, then <laughs> yeah, you're losing. Yeah, told that to Sega in the 16-bit age. And both Jaguar and uh, 3DO oh God, did, did that uh, yeah. <laughs> a uh, lot. I remember the Jaguar commercial, the one they had probably, do, do the math, and it's like, all right, good try. I'm not that stupid. I remember magazine advertisements for it. One was uh, in the Jaguar was Sonic, and then there was Mario with the Yoshi in the Yoshi's Cookie oh, right. outfit. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Which was intended to make him look as yeah. lame as possible, I guess. Uh, running away from this Jaguar guy. <laughs> and I was like, I want that I mean, console. Really? Oh, yeah. No, it's because I was like oh, 10. Yeah, I didn't I know like, any better. I would have been older than 10. I, In fact, I literally remember reading a magazine uh-huh. item about it and going, Dad, Dad, we got to go to Jaguar. 64 bits. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, 64 bits did sound good. But I think at that point, I was that's when I was like looking at this screenshot and saying, Something doesn't add up here anymore, because it, it used to be very clear what was 16 bits, what was 32 bits. When you got to 64 bits, things started getting a little muddy. So the thing, I, I think the 3DO was just kind of ahead of its time. Uh, maybe we weren't really ready for a fully 3D console in 1993. I guess it's possible. And that's not to say it didn't have some good games. Like, uh, I, I, I never shut up about Star Control 2, and one of the reasons we have Urquan Masters today is because it's basically uh, the port of the frankly, pretty excellent 3DO version of Star Control 2. I also had Wing Commander 3, which... Did you ever play Wing Commander 3? Because that, that, I, I enjoyed that one back in the day. It had Mark Hamill. It had, uh, had a giant guy in a, tiger, a, t- a, guy in a giant yes. tiger suit named Hobbs. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. And that always broke my heart because Hobbs turned out to be a traitor, oh. and they never really explained why. Oh, no. 
Maybe he got yes. tired of imagination. Spoilers for a 25-year-old game. Yeah, sorry about but, Sorry, guys. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed Wing Commander 3. Not as much as TIE Fighter, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of PC games on yes. it, actually. Yeah, which was, uh, again, you were saying 3DO was ahead of its time, and there you go. It's, uh, it wasn't until the Xbox we started getting a lot of PC games on consoles again. I think it's notable that it had a game called Death Keep, which mm-hmm. was a D&D game. It was a first-person dungeon crawler. It really looks like garbage these days. I guess oh, yeah. it got some good reviews back in the day, but, oh, man, it had some real loading times, too. It, I noticed it, had, it looked more like a, a Doom clone where you, you stab things instead of shooting them. Yeah, and you could also you also couldn't choose your uh, character class, so you were stuck with kind of the generic ones. Well, that's stupid. If it's a, You said it's a D&D game? Yes. Well, come on. And here's the kicker. It was the last game made by SSI, who did the Gold Box games. So oh. it was kind of a sad finish for strategic simulations with the D and D franchise. Yeah, that's a very sad send off because they had some they had some pretty great stuff. Now the 3DO did have a good RPG, Nadia. Wow. Yes, and it was a Japanese RPG at oh, that. So this game was called Lucien's Quest, mm-hmm. and it was made by a company you probably have not heard of before. It was called Micro Cabin. Uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 likens them to Nihon Falcom mm-hmm. in that they both kind of came out of the 80s, uh, both survived the transition from PC to consoles. Right. It's just that Falcom had better games. Yeah, okay, that, that stands. <laughs> And so Falcom became a cult favorite developer, had all these games like, uh, you know, uh, Ease and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Micro Cabin ultimately kind of faded into obscurity and died in 2008. But it did make this game called Lucien's Quest for the 3DO, which was, it kind of looks like a Sweet Coden, yeah. which is to say that it has that kind of isometric look, uh, 2D plus a little bit of 3D attached to it. And it was notable at the time because a lady was uh, the protagonist in it. Yeah, you didn't get that too much uh, back in the day. Uh, so I was always glad to see that kind of thing. But I did not know that Lucien's Quest even existed until like we started looking into the history of the 3D RPGs. Yeah, I mean, you learned something. Though, yeah. uh, apparently got ported over to the Sega Saturn, actually. But it was not called Lucien's Quest. It was oh. just called Sword and Sorcery. Did that come like to uh, the U.S. as well? Oh, okay. Well, that there's there you go. I suppose, but uh, yeah, it was never localized, which was no great loss because apparently it was inferior to the 3DO version. Oh, that's something you don't hear every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the porting something from the 3DO to the Sega Saturn probably wasn't that easy, and also they gave it such a generic name. I don't understand. Uh, you mean Sword and Sorcery or Lucien's Quest? Uh, Sword and Sorcery. Yeah, I guess they're both pretty generic, but Lucien's Quest at least stands out a little bit more, right? It does. It definitely does. Like, it's it's not the most imaginative name ever, but it, there is something kind of that infers a fantasy fun time is about to go on. Sword and Sorcery, it's like, I think I can think of ten things named Sword and Sorcery off the top of my head. Fantasy fun time is Nadia's favorite fun time. Hell yeah. Uh, but in Lucian's Quest, you are playing as a 15-year-old apprentice wizard, and you're helping a young man who looks a lot like Alucard from Symphony of the Night... <laughs> <laughs> who nice. is affected with lycanthropy, so he oh. turns into a werewolf. And if he turns into a werewolf at night, he uh, his attack stats and defense stats are increased. So it's actually pretty good 
to be in wolf form, but nevertheless, they are seeking a a cure. That's interesting because that's actually um, seeking to tattoo three slash trials of mana has Kevin who. When nighttime comes around, he turns into a werewolf. That increases his stats quite a bit. He's one of the best characters in the game because of that. You also have something that looks like a velociraptor named Kane Young, strongest of the lizard men. <laughs> nice. And, uh, yeah, no, by and large, I think the thing that stands out about this game, aside from the novelty of it being on the 3DO, was that it had kind of an interesting battle system. Uh-huh. So it had environmental elements to it. So you'd be fighting enemies... But also, you would have environmental things like rocks blocking your way. Mm-hmm. And your weapons would have a destroy stat. Right. And you would use those to destroy items on the battlefield to be able to access enemies and that kind of thing. So that was an extra layer of strategy to it. That sounds like, actually, it's a very interesting idea, but I could see it getting really exhausting in practice. You think so? Why is that? I think so. Uh, I don't know. I guess if a game really knows what it's doing, then sure, it could be like a really interesting uh, strategy element. But if you're looking at a game that's uh, probably, you know, not so remembered so well across the years, and it probably got annoying, and that's why no one really remembers the game. (laughs) There's also a, well, nobody remembers the game because it was on 3DO, but. (laughs) It's, I don't, oh no, that doesn't help. Yeah, I'm sorry, but. (laughs) Uh, but it also, you could summon an emergency character, uh, which was a golem, um, oh, cool. if you were in trouble. Uh-huh. I mean, it just seems like a very nice middle of the road RPG that sadly nobody remembers. Yeah, it's a shame. You know what? It's a shame it didn't get ported to the PlayStation as well, because then maybe at least people would remember it. They might remember it as something like, okay, it wasn't perfect, it was flawed, but it was a good idea. It had some really charming elements. I don't know about that. I think that ultimately it probably would have been forgotten in any case, but. It existed. It was on the 3DO. It was there. It was part of the 3DO's shining moment. The 3DO was also interesting. So it got off to a really horrible start for Uh a large part because A, it was $700, as you already mentioned, and B, because it just didn't have enough games. No, it didn't. Um, It was supposed to have this Jurassic Park game at launch, did not have the Jurassic Park game. It only had one game at launch, which just was not going to cut it. And it had major production problems because they were not doing production in house. They handed the uh, they handed the production off to Panasonic. Right. Yeah. So as a result, they had this was a seven hundred ninety nine dollar console, and a lot of out- retail outlets only had like two. Yeah. So it just had a lot of things stacked against it from the start, and then I believe when things started happening, like price drops, and maybe the library was looking a little bit better that's when the PlayStation started to gain some traction in addition to the Saturn. I did see a 3DO in the wild, though, Nadia. Ooh. Yes. Uh, I saw a 3DO at a Circuit City, if you want to bring back to the 90s. <laughs> and I did play it. It was a really cool shoot 'em up which was often used as the kind of tech demo uh-huh. for this series. And immediately it looked amazing. Yeah. It was uh, totally 3D. Flying from the back, kind of like Star Fox, but way more advanced than that. Uh, it looks quite dated now, but at the time it looked amazing. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, look at this incredible looking game. I, wow, 3DO is so powerful. So that always kind of imprinted it in my mind. Yeah, I feel like if not for the price, it would have had a much better chance. It, there's a good chance it would have done, you know, not a serious rival to Nintendo or Sony. But, you know, maybe just kind of exist in the shadows for a while. Well, as usual, games, 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 right? It really is, yeah. 
games, games, games. Plus, it needed um, probably more marketing and a lower price point. Yeah. it had a, I think it had a TV campaign. I don't remember ever seeing commercials I for it. I never saw a commercial for it. You mentioned the really testosterone-driven campaign. Yeah, like just that was just in magazines and stuff, though. Like Every game that was marketed in a magazine, from what I could see, was just like... It was just talking to me like a teenager with massive attitude. And it's like, guys, you can turn it down once in a while. It's okay. But no, everything it, had to be a problem. And then it only had a two-year window where it ran into the buzzsaw that was ultimately the Sony PlayStation. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it—a buzzsaw. And if, when it, you know, when the uh, when Final Fantasy VII came out, it became a jackhammer as well. Though it's all like extremely in hindsight that we would call the PlayStation a buzzsaw because yeah. I mean it was a relative newcomer as well. It was, yeah, and a lot of people were very like hesitant about it as well when. You know, back then it seemed like, okay, you got it's going to be between Nintendo and it's going to be between Sega, and it kind of wasn't in the end. I didn't think Sony had a chance. I, no, I, I remember I remember reading previews, and there were, like, every single freaking next-gen Sega console. There was, like, the Neptune as well. Oh, right. That's the Neptune. Jeez, I forgot about yeah. that. Didn't that become the 32X? I think so. I think the Neptune was supposed to be a 32X Genesis combined or something crazy like that. And then ultimately, and then like there would be one item. It'd be like Sony PlayStation. We know absolutely nothing about this. Yes. the security around it is incredibly tight. I'm like Sony, come on! It's not what do what properties do they have? <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, well, they had but to Sony, everything. But Sony brought the almighty, uh, brought the might of Sony. Pretty and much, it had the games. Um, I mean, 3DO attempted to undercut Sega and Nintendo by having much lower licensing costs, which was the right step. Yeah, but, it really was. Uh, but Sony had all of the had all of the Japanese developers, and it really threw open the floodgates. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. Not to mention the whole two ninety nine coup. Well, three D was interesting because it was an American console at a time when Japanese consoles were just dominating. Yeah, that and the Jaguar, which uh, which is American as well. Oh, so yeah, that was kind of a, a different time for consoles because, as you said, uh, it was mostly about the Japanese manufacturers. Uh, interestingly enough, the 3 almost got a follow-up. Yeah, I remember that, the M2, right? Yeah, and it came actually really close to being released uh-huh. to the point where it actually had uh, marketing campaigns and everything. And it was being made in conjunction with a Japanese manufacturer. I think it was named Matsushita or something to that effect. Uh-huh. And it almost happened, but at the last moment, I think it was Matsushita decided that they didn't want to compete against uh, other Japanese developers and pull the plug. Oh, see, I knew about M2. I just knew it disappeared. I didn't know that like it was because the Japanese developer said, you know, we're, we're pulling the plug on this. Yeah, there was a, a, develop, a Japanese developer uh, called Warp, Mm-hmm. Which made the D and D two games. Oh yeah. Which Kenji Ino. Yes. Yeah, uh, James Milky was a big Kenji Ino fan. Uh, yeah, he was. I think Kenji Ino's actually passed away, so rest in peace. But mm-hmm. yeah, like so, there was a lot of weird and interesting stuff on the three DO. There was. It was very much like a kind of existing its own niche. Like there was a this was a time when whenever what consoles were there just kind of existed in their own niche. Yeah, maybe maybe the 3DO never really had a chance, but it did have a lot of uh, 
it did. It, it was interesting. It was an interesting idea. The fact that it had Trip Hawkins behind it alone uh, at least gave it a fighting chance, right? It it did a hell of a lot better than the Jaguar and the uh, definitely the CDI. Actually, the Jaguar outsold the 3DO for did a bit. Seriously? Sure did. Oh, oh I, my. Actually, the 3DO uh, kind of got off to a somewhat okay start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly versus the 3DO, which it was kind of struggling from the start. The 3DO was, but the trajectories were different. Right. Whereas the Jaguar started okay and then kind of crashed and burned. Whereas the 3DO started pretty poorly. And by 1996 or so, it actually was turning a profit. Yeah. It just didn't have any chance in hell against Sega and Sony and Nintendo. Yeah, it it wouldn't have succeeded in the long term no matter what, I think. Oh yeah, the Atari Jaguar. Interesting, weird console. I already mentioned that I saw the newspaper item for this thing that was 64-bit, therefore I had to have it. Ooh, uh, more bits means more power. It's been debunked many a time. What a weird console. Uh, so uh, I had these two chips, these two 32-bit chips. Uh-huh. Uh, but And then they had another chip, this Motorola chip, that was supposed to tell different chips what to do. Uh-huh. And a lot of developers were like, well, I don't want to deal with these multiple chips. I'm just going to program for that chip. Yeah. And so you got what amounted to 16-bit games on this 64-bit <laughs> console, quote-unquote. Yeah, it was pretty great. Uh, I don't think anybody used it properly. I remember seeing like it was one of those consoles where you would look at screenshots and say, and say oh wow that looks really cool like trevor mcfur do you remember trevor mcfur oh and the crescent galaxy yeah that like it? that that looked amazing but then if you look it up on youtube uh number one there's no music and the sound effects are really bad and just looking at this game the the backgrounds look kind of cool but it just looks like a painting and the rest of it's all garbage the whole thing is garbage <laughs> Yeah, no, the Atari Jaguar, it, um, I think the game that still stands out is Tempest 2000. There was also Cybermorph, which I remember because of the whole coffee pot incident. What was the coffee pot incident? Oh, a game fan? Um, Oh, right. Somebody got (laughs) high on LSD or something? Because the acid it, got dropped in the coffee pot, and then they reviewed it. Really, Cybermorph's incredible. I think that was Dave himself. It's like Cybermorph is an. It's, it's like a. He was like writing about the second coming of Jesus. It was amazing. <laughs> like if you read this this review, it's incredible. And I will always love and respect and revere Game Fan for being what it was, and especially since because um, they took a, a very very good friend of mine today. She drew uh, Alucard. Sorry, she drew Sephiroth for the magazine. And they put Sephiroth, this this fan art, in the magazine. And number one, they spelled her name wrong. Number two, they said it was Alucard. <laughs> and, and I will always love them for that long, because I kind of always hold over her head, like, haha, you were published in Game Man, and they got, they got your name wrong, and they got, they got the source wrong. <laughs> what a weird magazine. I never read it. You uh, didn't? But... I did. I did. I, I was a huge yeah, so fan. you were a big reader of Die Hard Game Fan back in the day? I was. Like I had um I had some of the issues and to be fair, they were the only ones covering things like um the PC uh, CD uh, PC engine and stuff like that. The Game Fan stories uh, from that one thread years and years ago are still just incredible. I mean, I cannot get over it. Uh, the acid in the coffee pot's <laughs> only the tip <laughs> of the iceberg, honestly. 
Can you imagine, like, just writing this incredible review for of all the games? Like, you couldn't be like, oh, okay, I'm on, I'm on acid, and I'm reviewing Chrono Trigger. Like, this is a, this is a real experience. This is like the wall or something. No, who in be- U.S. gamer would benefit the most from uh, reviewing a game on acid? Me. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you would have a lot of fun. Or Katie. Katie would be amazing. Oh my god, I don't know what she would say. <laughs> I think if you gave it to Mike, he would just go, huh. Whoa. Mike, Mike would be Mike. Mike <laughs> would... He wouldn't see any tra- changes because all the caffeine that he drinks all the time. That's true. He's He, he would just kind of level out. Huron's a dark horse one. Like, Hur- yeah. I think that... I, I think there's something lurking within him that he would just become like a complete party animal or something if he dr- dropped acid and then started reviewing games. Or a dark lord. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the Atari Jaguar... Uh, it's only good if you're on acid. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that these days the Atari Jaguar is kind of treated as, you know, maybe the butt of jokes as opposed to being completely forgotten like the 3DF. Yeah, um, one reason might be because uh, it finds new life quite a bit in, in videos like the Angry Video Game Nerd. Uh, he tried to review not just the Jaguar, but the Jaguar CD add-on. And which was a thing that existed, except he tried to review it and he had to buy like four different ones off eBay because none of them worked. And I think don't think any of them worked until he infamously put like a can of paint on top of the CD attachment. And that was the only way the stupid thing would work. So, yeah, uh, that's why it is righteously the butt of jokes. Apparently I had a VR headset. I forgot about that, but yes, it did. Now, just imagine that in the mid-90s, buying a freaking headset for an Atari Jaguar. Yeah, that was, um, VR was a big thing in the 90s, or everyone wanted it to be a big thing, and uh, I guess Atari threw their lot in. We were not ready. We were definitely not ready. Oh my gosh, were we not ready. But, I mean, then they had that controller. I mean, the studio had an okay controller. The Jaguar's controller was a monstrosity. It's probably the worst controller ever made. Did the did the buttons the the number pads serve any purpose that you know of? Mm. Yeah, I've I've never actually held one of the dang things. I've just seen people using them. Because it makes me when I first saw the Jaguar controller, it actually made me a little nostalgic because the ColecoVision controller has a useless number pad on it. Oh, yeah. Why did they have the number pads? Uh, the only time I remember using number pads on the ColecoVision was, like, usually you'd start up a game and a, a menu would come up and say, what game mode do you want? And instead of, like, using the arrow keys, you would just press one or two. And usually it was just one or two, because God knows these games didn't have nine game modes. Well, the Atari Jaguar did not have any RPGs, much like the 3DO and the CDI. Uh, probably because consoles, uh, RPGs tend to come out for consoles that are mature and interesting. Uh, <laughs> yes. And also, this is a time period in which a lot of consoles were still in that kind of arcade mindset, right? So you still got a lot of shoot 'em ups and racers and that sort of thing. Um, and also, the Jaguar was very much trying to traffic on the explosion of first-person shooters right. back in the early 90s. Uh, probably its most famous game is Alien vs. Predator. Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty good, actually. So I've heard. It looks very dated. It, oh, it absolutely looks extremely dated. It looked amazing dated, yeah. in just regular screenshots. Yeah, it did. Like, it, it was definitely one of those, uh, again, another Jaguar game that looked amazing in screenshots. And not so... It looked okay in motion back in the day, but now it's like, okay, no. Now it's like a slideshow. It is. It's great. Uh, I think for Jaguar games, you were getting maybe 
10 frames a second, maybe 12 if you want to be generous. I remember that a big deal was made out of the fact that the Doom and Wolfenstein ports on the Jaguar were better than they were on the PC, like from a graphics standpoint. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I never played any of the... I never played Wolfenstein or Doom on the Jaguar. I just know that some of the console ports of Doom were a disaster and some were okay, and I can't remember where the Jaguar fell. I seem to recall that the Doom port on Jaguar was actually really good. Okay, I might be thinking of the 32X because I know that was a disaster. It also had Rayman, which was quite an attractive-looking game. Yeah, that's right. It did have a a version of Rayman. I think it had a version of Bubsy, too. The thing was Jaguar... Okay, so it's actual RPGs. Uh, Maybe the most notable one is, and maybe the only one, is this game called Towers 2 Plight of the Stargazer. Yes. Which was a port of the same game from the Atari Falcon. I have no idea where the original Towers was. Did you ever find that, Nadia? No, um, I looked up, like, where the original Towers was, and it was on, like, it was another PC game, but it never came out to the Jaguar. Uh, Again, it was another sort of dungeon crawler, very pixely Doom-looking, where you stab things instead of actually shooting them. I like this. Apparently the back of the box said, finally an RPG for the Jaguar. (laughs) It's right. It said, like, finally uh, an RPG for the Jaguar. And so that's that's how you know you're you're dealing with a market that's really well-known for RPGs. But uh, I guess you could only get it for a special order at EB Games and other outlets, so you couldn't even just buy it. No, you had to, like, mail order it or something like that, because the company that made it, um, I think by the time the game came out, the writing was on the wall for the Jaguar, so no one's going to be releasing, you know, mass manufacturing copies of this game and putting it on shelves. And so it was another first-person dungeon crawler, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, and very, um, I, th- I think even though it's based around a tower, it was just very flat-looking, so it's not like you're climbing, spiraling, you think of climbing a tower, you think, oh, I'm spiraling upwards, no, none of that. Now here's a one. There was apparently a Centipede RPG in development, as in, like, an RPG based on the classic game Centipede. Yeah, that sounds actually really interesting. That sounds like it would have been kind of fun, because I I loved Centipede for the arcades. So we would have called it Centipede. Centipede was a shoot-'em-up, right? Am I not crazy with the trackball? No, it was like like an arcade shooter, kind of like a a much more fast-paced Space Invader, for, for lack of a better comparison, off the top of my head. Okay. But in this one, it's actually an RPG. You would have gone to, like, towns, and mm. you would have fought centipedes in the wild, and also, like, other bugs and things. Yeah, and you know what? That's actually not a bad idea for an RPG, because creepy-ass huge bugs, those make really effective monsters. Uh, one thing I've noticed about a lot of even primitive older RPGs that are done by Japanese developers, uh, they make some creepy-ass-looking bug monsters, Uh I still look at the, the centipede monsters from Final Fantasy IV, and I just shudder a little bit, because they're clearly based on Mukade, which are bugs that should not exist if there's a loving god in the universe, and there clearly isn't. <laughs> I still have nightmares about the giant scorpion from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't blame you. Jeez. I mean, can you imagine seeing a scorpion the size of a house? Yeah. See, that that would be a very effective thing to fight in an RPG, especially like a 3D RPG in those days. I mean, gosh, when you see them a lot in, like, Skyrim, where you'll yeah. just see these bugs come flying, like, come crawling towards you, and you're like, oh, God, I hate these things, because you know that if they get too close to you, you are in deep, deep trouble, because yeah. they're impossible to kill, they take so many hits, uh, I think they're called, like, rad scorpions, literally, 
And yeah. if they start yeah. stinging you, you're going to just take huge amounts of damage. So you're like, crap, 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 crap. Yeah, so you got, they're not just scorpions, they're radioactive scorpions. Yes, that, that's the deal. Radioactive scorpions. No um, but yeah, this game apparently only made it about six months before Atari decided to pull the plug because it decided remakes of old games wouldn't be profitable, which is strange because it released Tempest 2000, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it released Tempest 2000, and uh, yeah, it's um, obviously they had a very different version, a, sorry, a very different vision for Centipede here, and uh, they canceled it anyways. It's too bad. Eh, eh, it's Atari. It's a, exactly, it's Atari. What do you expect? It's Atari. Oh, this is the end. This is the end of Atari. Like, if you compare the Atari Jaguar and the 3DO, I mean, they both kind of have their moments. I think the 3DO had higher quality PC ports. Mm-hmm. It probably had it had the best RPG out of them. Uh, but I don't know. I think they're both bad consoles. Yeah, um, put it this way, I'm not sad that I missed out on them, whereas sometimes I think, oh, I'm a little sad I missed out on the Saturn, but I'm not sad I missed out on the 3DO and Atari. I saw a 3DO, I played one of its games, that was good enough. Yeah, there you go. What more do you need? <laughs> you have experience. Yeah. A console that is much more fondly remembered. Like, we're never going to get a Jaguar Mini. No. Uh, that would be a good gag gift. <laughs> that would be great. If you hate someone. That's, it sounds like an Onion article, honestly. Or it like does. Something that the Onion would do, the Jaguar Mini. Remember Atari's least successful console. Yeah, you, now you can relive uh, your memories of, uh, blank. <laughs> the, thing, the thing with the Atari Jaguar is, so apparently Atari had a lot of success in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they did. A lot of uh, consoles, a lot of its consoles had their best sales there, but they barely focused on the UK and mostly focused on the US. That was very smart of them. Yeah, it's not very smart at all. Yeah. I mean, you go to the country that likes the ZX Spectrum, for God's sake. Yeah. They don't have very good taste. <laughs> They'll take your console. They don't even like the Super Nintendo up there. Oh, man, if, t- if Tom hears you dissing the ZX Spectrum, it's all over. <laughs> oh, we're going to get so much hate mail from our five British listeners. We're sorry, guys. <laughs> we are very sorry. We, we have lots of love and respect for our, our British cohorts. We do, we do. But the fact of the matter is, though, that Atari did actually have a lot of success in the UK, relatively speaking. And no, it did, yeah. I mean, Nintendo did not have a a foothold up there, and, you know, Sega was popular, but, I mean, you would have thought that the door was kind of open for something like the Jaguar to come in, right? Yeah, definitely. I remember um, my brother went to uh, Ireland to visit some cousins of ours, and uh, by this, this was like several times, this was in the 90s, and... He came back and was like, wow, they really like Atari there. Like, our, cousin, our cousins apparently had, like, uh, a 2600 that they just loved. All right, well, let's finish on the note of, uh, actually, looks like a really good RPG. And I did not know this existed until relatively recently, but it looks awesome, actually. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, I mentioned that the Atari Jaguar would never have a mini console. The 3DO would never have a mini console. But the Neo Geo does, is going to have a mini console. Yes. A lot of Neo Geo games are out on the Nintendo Switch, like basically the entire library, I believe. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy to get a Neo Geo game on the Switch if you want. There's still much love for SNK, uh, classic SNK arcade games like Metal Slug and Magical Drop and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, the Neo Geo, despite the fact that it cost an ungodly amount of money, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, there's still a lot of love for it because it has some of the 
greatest fighting games. It had some of the best 2D graphics and all of yeah. that. It was a great console, right? It was. And uh, I think that SNK like, played it smart by making it... It always knew that it was going to be like a niche uh, console, and it was. Like, It never tried to be, okay, I'm going to go up against Nintendo, I'm going to go up against Sega. Just like, hey, you like arcade-perfect games, you have tons of money, well, we have something for you. Yeah, if you're a hobbyist in the early 90s and you have a surplus of money, maybe the Neo Geo is for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it did just fine. I mean, you would have these amazing, beautiful, incredible arcade-perfect ports sitting right in your home. Yeah. Um, of course, you were looking at, if, if you didn't like fighting games, there's no point in getting one, but yeah. <laughs> Metal Slug! It did have Metal Slug. It and that one soccer game. Oh, yay. Hooray. <laughs> Baseball stars. Woo. So it had, you know, by 90s standards, it had a decent array of games. It just didn't have RPGs. No, it definitely didn't have RPGs. It had one, I think. Which is interesting, because it's a Japanese developer. Yeah. They just went all in arc- on arcades. There's like, we're an arcade, like, even more than Sega. Like, Sega was like, we're an arcade developer, but also we make these games like Fantasy Star. Yeah. Neo Geo was like, no, we make arcade games. Arcades only, man. Yeah. And just like, and then also we bring them home, but we're primarily an arcade manufacturer. Though, with one exception. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, it's the only RPG that was ever made for the Neo Geo, and also the Saturn and the PlayStation. So it was never actually localized in America, so it only really has the uh, Japanese name, which was Shinsetsu Samurai Spirits Bushido Retsuden, which uh, spells basically comes out as Samurai Spirits RPG. <laughs> or that's, <laughs> that's how everybody knows it over in America. It was an RPG version of Samurai Showdown, which is actually a really great idea, I think, Nadia. That like, sounds really cool, yeah. And I think when uh, Ray Barnholt was on the show a little while back, we talked about it a little bit because we talked about more obscure RPGs, and apparently it has a, a deserved fan base. I think so. Have you watched the YouTube videos of this thing? It's gorgeous. It looks really, really awesome, and that's one reason I really wish that we did have more RPGs on the Neo Geo is because uh, its sprites were unmatched and, and still are in many instances. Well, they scaled down the, the sprites from the arcade game, but they still look really, really, yeah. really good. And this is one game where the overworld looks just as good as the actual battle sequences. Right. And it has a lot of really good special effects. Oh, my gosh. What a gorgeous game. Yeah, it's really a shame. Did we ever get any kind of official no. localization? There's a fan translation. There must be a fa- yeah, there, there must be a fan translation, but still, that's, uh, oh, it'd be great to have that on the, uh, the upcoming little system. And it's really, it's not just a, oh, you know, we decided to make an RPG that was kind of tertiary to the classic fighting games. It was really faithful to the Mm -hmm. original fighting game series. It had pretty much all of the characters. And what was kind of cool was that you could play, you could choose from six different characters who all had their own stories. Right. And those stories were not insignificant. They could last like 20 hours. Well, as we know now, like the way that um, Virtual Fighter became like Shenmue, uh, yeah, fighting games can have great stories. They can, they can make great RPG stories. So you choose from one of the six characters, and then uh, they have secondary characters who all fight alongside them. Mm-hmm. That's and then cool. it incorporates a lot of the mechanics from the actual arcade game, like... As you take more damage, the rage meter basically goes up and you do more damage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every single one of the characters has pretty much all of their signature moves and everything. And I'm like, man, why did they ever do this with Street Fighter? 
I was about to say, you know, give me that with Street Fighter. I'll play it. Because Street Fighter is just a half step away. It's an anime, right? Oh, it's totally anime. Like, ask me about the like characters, like history and drama and stuff like that. I can, I can tell you. I can go on for hours. So, they, I mean, you could totally imagine a party-based Street Fighter RPG in which you can choose from the eight original World Warriors and have them in your party. So you got Dalsim and Chun Li and Ryu, and you're going out and guys like. Oh, Saget are actual bosses and that kind of thing. Yeah, and gosh, and if you really want to make it like a real epic thing, you can just bring in all the extended universes like Final Fight into it. And then when they hit their limit break, they do their super duper attacks. I don't know. <laughs> Hell, it's it's um honestly with the way how kind of in theory how easy it would be to, to transfer fighting game mechanics like that to RPG mechanics, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Mm. Well, I mean. That's a lot of extra work, and maybe there's not as, that much crossover between fighting game fans and RPG fans. Ah, uh, someone should fix that. I mean, I mean, if you think, okay, so I think the main crossover point between traditional FGC people and RPG people is that maybe both sets kind of like Japan, maybe more than mm-hmm. average. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a little bit otaku. I mean, J- I mean that's Japanese RPG fans, like yeah. Uh, Western RPG fans, much less so. They come from a much different tradition yeah, of definitely. the PC slash D&D. But uh, when it comes to console RPG fans, I definitely think that's the case. But beyond that, you know, very different tastes, I think. One yeah. of the reasons that I went to RPGs was I was like, well, good. I can now, I can use my brain. I don't have to remember all of these really complex inputs. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, what do you mean with, like, fighting games? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, I guess so. Uh, you could just kind of take it at your own pace. But um, all you really have to do is play Street Fighter Two, pick Honda, and spam the 100-hand slap until the person playing through gets really annoyed. <laughs> well, yeah, Samurai Spirits, a uh, really cool-looking game. I'm sure you can download it ultimately to get ported. But, yeah, that was pretty much the exception. There was the only RPG to come out on the Neo Geo, and ultimately it was really cool. So. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm really saddened that we it's not easier to access and that it doesn't get it doesn't really have like a an official localization. So that's pretty much it. I mean, that was the array of weirdo consoles that came out in the early '90s: the CDI, the Neo, the Neo Geo, the uh, 3DO, the Atari Jaguar. Like it was kind of a wild west still. And even though Nintendo and Sega were st- still dominating. Things were about to turn. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, the console market was going to stabilize. We were going to have very consistent people. It was going to be Nintendo and Sony and Sega and then Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. And then things would pretty much lock in and you wouldn't see anything else. I mean, we've had weird things since, like the Ouya. <laughs> we sure have. We sure did, uh, but that was like an independently developed weird thing that just kind of came out that was crowdfunded. Yeah, like we have definitely had like strange indie things come out through the industry lately, but uh, for big names putting big money into consoles, uh, that was it for a time beyond the players we see now. Well, now we're seeing Apple is pushing the Apple Arcade. Yeah. And of course, Google Stadia, which is being pushed as a legitimate competitor to the Microsoft Xbox. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see about that. The way that the um, fees that they try to show us about the Stadia, you know, buffers for me every single time. I'm I'm still kind of not sold. <laughs> yeah, that was the problem with the 
Samurai Spirits was that it had major load times. But awesome. so wait, Stadia. Have you tried Stadia? No, I'm just saying that every time they show a presentation for Stadia, my connection ends up buffering. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like, um, if you're going to be streaming games, I don't want to be caught buffering all the time. What's interesting is that this was a time where you had these large consumer electronics uh, places like Mm -hmm. Philips and Sony and Panasonic trying to push their way into the, the game realm. Yes. Whereas now it's like the major tech giants that are making phones and, you know, control the cloud and have search engines and and whatnot. Like, that's the difference. Yeah, uh, definitely people were casting their feelers out back then. And and then they decided, okay, well, you know, with a lot of of times the corporations, they want something that'll get them rich quick and they don't find it. So they move on very quickly. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to this, but I think it's interesting that Sony managed to uh, succeed because, I mean, it really broke broke the mold. Even Microsoft was a software company at heart, so therefore it had that sensibility of we need to have software for this thing. And that's why they had the killer app right out of the gate with Halo. Whereas Sony, I mean, they've just historically been all over the place. They're closer to a Panasonic or a Philips mm-hmm. where they're making TVs, they're making Walkmans. Uh, you wouldn't have necessarily associated them with software at the time, but they managed to break the mold and actually succeed with the PlayStation. Yeah, um, that was the reason people were so hesitant on them at first, because it was like, okay, well, Sony makes Walkmans, Sony makes TVs. They don't. What can they do for games? What kind of gains can they make? And uh, we found out. I mean, you would have thought, though, that the 3DO, like, somebody like Trip Hawkins would have understood the power of games, games, games. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently, I didn't know that they launched with just one game. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't have enough of them because, I mean, it. both the Jaguar and the 3DO were somewhat difficult to develop for as a problem. Yes. Yeah, that probably didn't help at all. No, absolutely not. And so... As a result, they were hamstrung from the start, and as I already mentioned, they had ma- major manufacturing problems as right. well, based on their decision to go over to Panasonic. And so, as a result, the 3DO just was kind of a dead letter from the very the very start. Uh, must have been very frustrating for Chipakins. Yeah, sucks for him. But all right, so that was our console RPG quest for the 3DO, the CDI, the Jaguar. And the Neo Geo. <laughs> Just get them <laughs> out of the way. We're not doing a whole episode on them. <laughs> no, I mean, what would we have done for an episode on the CDR RPGs? Like, we would have just sat there in silence. So, I hear Zelda is kind of bad. <laughs> so, CDI, mm, interesting. It has a weird Good. Let's imagine RPGs on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not. That sounds like a nightmare. I probably found some good stuff, like Samurai Spirits and Lucian's Quest. They're all right. Oh, yeah. There are definitely some ones uh, there that stand out. Uh, Lucian's Quest is one of them, as you say. Uh, It's definitely, the 3D in particular is not without its merit. All right. Let's continue on to the mailbag. Okay, Nadia, so last week you posted the news notes that, with the headline that still kind of gets me, 
why are portable RPGs and R- uh, why are portable systems and RPGs perfect lovers? Which <laughs> all I can read lovers is as lovers or whatever. Well, they are. They're very, they're you very know, steamy. very throaty, like smoking a lot of cigarettes, that kind of thing. You, we all know that like every handheld system is a chain smoker, but especially the 3DS. But surprise, surprise, our community has some thoughts on this. Uh, gamer Law says every gamer discovers at some point that life finds a way of encroaching on our hobby. For me, this arrived in the understanding that I was no longer able to enjoy 40-plus hours while tethered to a home console. Portable gaming systems became my default option several years ago when I started traveling more for work. The Switch has carried it to an entirely new level by providing the opportunity to play console-quality games on the go. Portable game systems meet gamers where we are in life and allow us to enjoy many of the recent stellar RPG releases like Octopath Traveler and Fire Emblem Three Houses. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah, we're technically playing console games just on handheld. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I was really enjoying Dragon Quest Eleven on my flight back from England. Oh yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm actually like playing through that as well when I'm not playing my review games. Uh it's a great RPG. I'm really enjoying it the second time around. Yeah, I'd rather be playing uh Dragon Quest Eleven than the game that I'm currently playing, which I'm <laughs> not enjoying. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you'll you'll see my review soon enough, folks. Hooray. Look for it on Tuesday. Oh, boy. Uh, Molaram says, My first thought when looking at the title was, The world ends with you. Good on you for mentioning it. Yes, oh, we did. Oh, you think we're not going to mention The world ends with you, the er example of the Portal RPG? It was so good. Uh, yeah, of course, Eric is a big fan, and uh, so we talked a bit about that. A uh, little disappointed that the Switch version doesn't really have stylus support, apparently, but um, it's either way, it's a great RPG, and I would easily recommend it to anyone. Still I'll just I'll just add that Super Robot Wars I can only play uh, on handhelds these days because you're too busy. I'm too busy, and it's just one of those games that I can't sit still for two hours and play anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, getting to be that age, I guess. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I I played the heck of it on console back in like 2008, but you know at a certain point I played uh, too many of them. Uh, and if I'm being honest, like most RPGs, I just. Unless it's like Skyrim or something, like yeah. a turn-based RPG, I struggle to play on a TV. The, the Switch has really spoiled us. I suppose it, the Switch is great. So I held a Switch Lite while I was in England. By the way, oh, how'd that go? Pretty nice. You're a believer, huh? I'm a believer. <laughs> Mike is gonna laugh. I'm not gonna buy it though. <laughs> That's what you say. Because I'm not stupid. <laughs> it's really uh-huh. nice, but come on, I already own a Switch. I guess that's fair. I would love to have one. Uh, I can't imagine actually owning two of those things. It, it's like an impossible luxury. It is. It, it would definitely be a big luxury for me, and it's not at the top of my buying priorities by any stretch of the imagination. Nadia, you got some crap for uh, not giving a shout-out to Radiant Historia? Yes. Um, I didn't really get crap, but yes, I should have shouted out to... I can't remember what the remake is called. Not the remake, but the kind of revamp they did for the 3DS, um, which was the first time I played Radiant Historia. And um, I actually enjoyed it very much. I talked about it in some depth with... uh, There was an episode where Anthony Agnello was on with me, and we talked about it. It was just a a really... It was a different RPG. It was very Atlas-y, for lack of a better term. Yes, so I should have mentioned that. It's it's a great game. Uh, Ray's Luigi says... For me, I definitely find that the smaller aspects of playing in RPGs less lend themselves well to portable systems. 
RPGs tend to be heavy with minor tasks, adjusting equipment, crafting, skill trees, min-maxing, that to me have more in common with reading than with big screen gaming. It's almost relaxing, and it just makes sense to curl up in bed with those parts of the game. One thing I really appreciate about the Switch, the OG model at least, is that portability isn't all or nothing. Mm-hmm. I can splash grand adventures across a 60-inch screen and then retire to cozier hardware once my adventures return to town to attend to the finer details of their quest. Very well put. Thank you, Ray's Luigi. Yeah, that's a good point because there are a lot of games, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses comes to mind, where you spend a lot of time before a big fight where you, you prep. And I see how playing Fire Emblem, uh, doing the battles on screen, and doing the prep in handheld would actually be a, a pretty good divide. I definitely feel... I, I was mentioning Dragon Quest Eleven and playing it and how... It was really grabbing me the second time around on the Nintendo Switch. Uh-huh. And I was kind of wondering why. And people were pointing out that it was a little bit like reading a novel. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, and so you can just imagine like tucking away yourself into bed with your Nintendo Switch. And effectively you're reading a novel as opposed to just sitting on your couch, clicking through uh, dialogue and such. I mean, we live in the modern age. We have too much to entertain us. It's difficult these days to just focus on a 100-hour classic RPG on the big screen. Yeah, and one thing in a similar vein that I brought up to Eric is that uh, the Switch is so excellent for putting down and picking back up again. Like, you literally, it's like picking Mm. up an e-rater. You turn on a button, you click three times, you're done. You're exactly where you were. And with the PlayStation... Uh, for example, it's like, oh, you got to turn on the TV, you got to turn on the PlayStation, you got to, you know, wait for it to everything to cycle through, wait for it to load your, your title screen and everything. It's it's much easier with the Switch. It is very much like reading a novel. I will say this, though. I can still play, like, Final Fantasy VI on the TV. Uh, maybe my brain is just used to it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, when you play, like, the SNES Classic, for example, and you're like, oh, I'm going to play Final Fantasy VI, and you kind of get into it. Yeah, like... Because uh, it might be that way with me, too. I, I don't really resent having to play Final Fantasy VI or any retro RPG like that on uh, on the TV. Okay, folks. That's our mailbag. Thanks for sending notes in. If you want to send in a note, you can contact us at cap.bailey at usgamer.net or send a DM to me on Twitter. My DMs are open. God help me. <laughs> If you're enjoying the podcast, can I suggest that you review it? Uh, We always enjoy reading the reviews. And, of course, we've got all of our wonderful RPG and everything else coverage over on US Gamer. We'll be back next week to talk about who knows what. I'm sure there are more RPGs to be covering. Outer Worlds is coming out before too long. Yeah, I mean, we are really heading into the review season here. Um, Before I know it, I'm going to be playing Pokemon. I was really looking forward to being on the uh, Outer Worlds review, but I'm not going to be on it after all. Oh, really? No, I got another game to play. Oh. A big one. Oh. A hmm. very big one. Does it, like, is it associated with Hideo Kojima? Can't say. Oh, okay. Sony might kill me. <laughs> 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 all right, folks, we'll be back next week. And as always, for Nani and myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring.